Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Her Health, the show that reprioritizes your to-do list and puts your health first. I'm your host, Mary Arnoff from Providence. This season, we're talking about why midlife health matters. Because beginning at the age of 35, women face increased risk for many conditions, and it's so important to know what to watch for and to get your recommended screening. Our goal is to help women make informed healthcare choices for themselves. Remember, everyone, if you have questions for our expert, please share them on social media. You can be found on Facebook and Twitter at Providence and under Providence Health System on Instagram. Use the hashtag HerHealth, that's hashtag HerHealth, and we'll be on the lookout for your questions. Before we start, I want our listeners to know that the information provided during this program is for educational purposes only. You should always consult a healthcare provider if you have any questions regarding a medical condition or treatment. Okay, well, let's get started by welcoming our guest today, Dr. Tam. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Well, let's start with the easy one. Tell us a little bit about your role and how you got into this with Providence. Sure. So I am a cardiologist at Providence. I am also the medical director for the Women's Heart Program here at the Providence Vascular Institute in in Oregon. And, um, you know, throughout my training, I've always had a great interest in in, um, being able to take care of women. And Mm -hmm. um, and as a cardiologist, I can take care of patients who are cardiology patients, but I also get to take care of of specifically a lot of women patients. And uh, heart disease is a huge condition. It uh, is the number one killer of men and women in the United States. But what people really don't realize uh, is that heart disease kills a disproportionate number of women. You know, more women have died from heart disease each year than men for almost every year in the last 30 years. Wow, yeah, you're yep. right. I don't think people do know. No, you know, we tend to think of heart disease as a man's disease, mm-hmm. but in reality, it's a woman's disease. And does it, um, is it, I don't want to say... Agnostic, but does it affect women equally, or are there certain demographics or you know age groups or minorities that are more impacted by mm-hmm. heart issues? So you know, um, as is true in men and women, uh, heart disease disproportionately affects those from disadvantaged socioeconomic groups. And, you know, a lot of that is because heart disease is intimately tied with lifestyle and um, kind of your social surroundings. There's a a saying that um, heart disease, it matters less your genetic code than your area code. So it's like having access to um, uh, healthy foods, um, a lifestyle, having access to um, uh, medical care, and um, you know all those things that really contribute to wellness has a huge impact on a, on a women and a man's risk for developing heart disease in their lifetime. Well, especially when you talk about nutrition, I mean, diet is so impactful to your heart health. And when you look at, you know, the options of this cheeseburger is 69 cents versus a salad is $8 or I go to the grocery store and maybe I live in an area where I don't have access to a grocery store. So Mm -hmm. I'm shopping in a bodega. Yes. The choice of fresh fruits and vegetables is limited. Absolutely. And, you know, also, I think that um, we don't have the luxury of time if uh, if you are busy, you're raising your families um, and you, you don't have some of those resources that otherwise would allow you to live a life that is otherwise healthier. True. And I know today we're remote and we're in base camp, which Mm -hmm. is a wonderful uh, heart prevention program basically here in Portland that does everything from post, you know, cardiac care, but then also education and training. And you work with base camp and you have a couple of programs as well. Can you talk about those? Yeah. So once a month, I host a women's tea and talk, which is really what I think of as a women's wellness group. Um, Once a month, we um, bring the community in community here to base camp and we open it up and um, we do a a monthly talk and I talk about different topics related to heart health 
health and mm-hmm. women's health. And um, we usually make it a, an interactive educational session for the community. Whether you have heart disease or not, there's mm-hmm. a lot to be learned. And then we also add in a component where we do something interactive together. We have a great yoga studio here. Oh, um, we usually do a mini yoga class or Pilates or Zumba or meditation. But really kind of focus on, on wellness and uh, living a life of, of um, that's, um, you know, of being heart healthy. And uh, we do cooking demonstrations and we bring on our nutritionists to do talks, really to provide women with the tools to live a heart healthy life. Because we know that if a woman has the knowledge and the tools to live a life of wellness and health, so too will we improve the health of her family Absolutely. and also the community. Well, she is probably the one that's the most s- often making the, the meals. Center and of the absolutely. Home. Yeah. Well, you mentioned heart healthy uh, diet. What is a heart healthy diet? Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's different variations of heart healthy diet. People talk about the Mediterranean diet and all these other things. But I think in general, if you're eating fresh foods um, that are less processed, mm-hmm. um, that's healthy. And um, really trying to work on cutting out the, the saturated fats in your diet that come from red meat and um, uh, anything that's deep fried and heavy creams and high-fat cheeses and things like that, but replace it with the good fats. Um, So like olive oil and nuts and fish and avocados, those are good fats, and they um, help uh, protect your heart. Um, But uh, there's a lot of processed foods in our American Mm -hmm. diet, and I think trying to get back to eating um, more natural foods that are whole, um, we know that there's significant um, uh, heart benefits in terms of increasing the fiber in your diet, decreasing the uh, processed foods. Um, You know, anything that's really white, I would say any refined is is not not so good for you so like the white bread the white pasta um uh, white rice really things that are more true and more whole more natural are going to be much more helpful and cutting out the sugar there's an incredible amount of sugar (sighs) in the american diet so much sugar Mm -hmm. and yet we crave it so much (laughs) well we have a lot of great questions that came in via social media today and there i mean so many great um pieces of information i think you can provide for people so this one is interesting it says is heart health different for men and women and if so why mm-hmm. well i would say that the general tenets of um living a heart healthy life like knowing your your numbers meaning knowing what your cholesterol is your blood sugar mm-hmm. blood pressure all those things that are kind of key indicators to your cardiovascular health it's important for both men and women but i will say that there are certain things that um, change in women that um, sometimes may increase our risk there are certain heart conditions that are more common in pregnancy Mm -hmm. there are certain conditions that become uh, more of an issue as women get through menopause and we lose our natural estrogen we know that women die from heart disease but we tend to have heart disease present later about 10 years later than men oh interesting because until you lose the protective effects of your natural estrogen we're somewhat protected and then our risk really starts to go up as we go as we get older and we enter into menopause women actually sometimes present a little differently when it comes to heart attacks or heart disease. Sometimes our symptoms are a bit atypical and may not be recognized as an actual cardiac symptom, but they are. For example, shortness of breath sometimes can be your symptom Mm. of a heart attack. Sometimes it's uh, pain in the abdomen. People think it's heartburn or nausea, sweating, um, shortness of breath. Really, all these things could um, may represent um, a heart, uh, heart attack symptom in women, but often it's not recognized as such. Wow, that's fascinating. 
So how would you even know, like if you were sweating or you were having what you thought was stomach pain, how mm-hmm. do you know when to go in? Mm-hmm. Well, I think if it doesn't really feel right, this is, I mean, this is something that is new, that is significant. Um, and especially if it's correlated to physical activity. So if every time you're walking up the stairs, you're getting an ache in your jaw, it could just be that it's your, 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 your sign of your angina and it's being, um, it's referred pain. Sometimes people mm-hmm. feel it in the arm, sometimes pe- feel it in their jaw. Um, but if it's symptoms that are recurrent that um, occur and is worse with physical exertion, the more demand you place on your heart, the worse those symptoms. It's something to pay attention to. Got it. Well, you mentioned menopause and pregnancy, but are there female-specific disorders or conditions that increase a woman's risk of heart disease outside mm-hmm. of those two? Sure. Well, you know, there's conditions like polycystic ovarian syndrome where um, women will uh, make excess excess hormones, essentially, and they increase your risk of uh, heart disease um, later on, even in life. There are also things that um, sometimes, even as uh, when women are younger um, during pregnancy, that um, may not be a problem, a big problem right there and then, but it tells that it significantly increases your risk of developing heart disease later on. For example, women who develop gestational diabetes, so diabetes Mm -hmm. during pregnancy, or gestational hypertension, well, we know that their heart disease risk is much higher than that of the average woman who gets through a pregnancy without those problems. And she may not have her heart attack or her big issue then, but you know, in 20, 30 years, um, her risk is substantially higher than a woman who has not had those problems. So I think that that also tells us there's a huge group where you can make a, a potential uh, important impact. Sure. If these women know that they're at higher risk and they put in those lifestyle changes now and they pay attention to the things that they can do to impact their outcomes, well, they may not actually have the same outcome that you would have otherwise expected sure. in 20, 30 years. We know that heart disease is about 80% pr- 80% preventable. So Such a big number. It is, right? And, you know, we think about genetics, and it does play a role. But um, but if heart disease is 80% preventable, then there's so much we can do in terms of how we live our lives mm-hmm. that impact how we, how we end up doing long term. Well, what are the most common things that you can do to lower your risk, especially if it's preventable? Mm-hmm. So I think that, um, importantly, I think you um, you need to be active, mm-hmm. right? So this Amer- the you know the current American lifestyle has become very sedentary. So We're in sedentary. front of our phones, our computers, all those things. So I think that whatever you do, be active. And you know, back in the day, people didn't have as you know. If you look at actually the trend of people of mortality from heart disease um, at the turn of the century, very few people were dying from heart disease. The vast majority of deaths at that time were related to infectious infectious diseases. We didn't have great sanitation, kind of all those other things. And as we um, became more industrialized as a society, people left the farms. We Everything became more automated. Um, we started eating more processed foods. Sure. All those things came onto the scene. In the next you know, 60, 70, 80 years, um, heart disease really, really uh, peaked. And, um, and it wasn't until maybe the last 30 years when we've been paying more attention to lifestyle and um, uh, making greater efforts at education that we've started to see heart disease decline a little bit. So I think being active is key. And then, um, and we talked about diet and eating less processed foods and trying to eat more fresh vegetables. 
and um, making sure that our foods are more natural. And I think, um, you know, we talked a little bit briefly about knowing your numbers. So kind of really knowing what your indicators of heart health um, is. I mean, if you don't know what your cholesterol is, you're not going to be able to, to make an improvement. Right. If you don't know what your blood sugars are, you're not going to be able to, to work on the things that you'd otherwise work on so that you would um, decrease your risk of actually developing diabetes or treating it if you've got it. So I think that um, we need to know where we stand. But I also think we need to be proactive in terms of being advocates for our own health. So if something doesn't feel right, you want to make sure you, you, you find a doctor that you can, you, you're comfortable with, that you can actually make sure your, your um, concerns are addressed. We always talk about on this show and our other shows the importance of having a primary care physician um, because mm-hmm. you can get those annual tests. You can have your wellness tests. You can get your, t- your cholesterol checked, those sort of things. Yes. So do you find that a lot of people who are experiencing conditions, especially heart conditions later in life, maybe didn't have good access to care earlier in life? You know, or maybe they just have been so busy they didn't really pay attention to it. You know, as in daily life, we have families, we have um, all these things that are, are busy. And sometimes we think of our own health as last. And I think, if anything, women need to start putting their own health first. So yes, establishing a relationship with a primary care doctor that you're comfortable with, that communicates, who listens to you. Mm -hmm. I think that that's key. And there's so much that can be um, garnered from that relationship, whether, and you may never have a, a huge medical issue where it's an issue, but I think if you do prevention well, there's a lot you're going to, you're going to be able to do and live well without actually having a, a, a major condition. Now, one of the things when we talk about um, prevention is really smoking is a is a big indicator of potential heart health. Is that correct? Yes, yes. So, you know, I tell my patients the single best thing you can do for your health actually is to quit smoking if you, yeah. if you do. Um, not only does it increase your risk of heart disease and stroke, I mean, it substantially increases cancer risk sure. and um, lung disease. And it's just something that is completely preventable. So I, I, I would say that that is that is very important. Now, speaking of cancer, I know that there's kind of a, I don't know if it's a myth, maybe it's a fact, but people always say that it's okay to drink a glass of red wine and it's good for your heart. Mm-hmm. But I know you maybe have a different opinion on that because mm-hmm. of cancer. Yeah, well, you know, there there is some early studies that have shown that one glass of red wine a day has some cardioprotective benefits, right? But there really hasn't been any amount of alcohol intake that's been felt to be safe or protective when it comes to cancer risk. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, any amount of alcohol will increase your risk of cancer to some degree. And, um, so in that, that's that vein, I, you know, I, I would uh, say that if you do drink, I would drink very moderately, but I wouldn't use it as, ex- as heart protection <laughs> as the excuse to me. justify, right? <laughs> Anybody who's out there taking a drink right now is setting it down and walking away. <laughs> Drink well, water. <laughs> you talked a little bit about the genetic side of it, but is heart health hereditary? There is certainly a genetic component. Um, we know that uh, cholesterol, there are many cholesterol conditions where people make more cholesterol. They just don't clear it from their system. And there's also a, a, another component. You know, inflammation is much a cause of heart disease as um, uh, actual cholesterol particles. You really? know, there are some people that just have a lot of inflammation. And inflammation attracts more plaque buildup. You're mm. more prone to blockages if you've got a lot of inflammation. Right? Sure. So, um, you know, so some of that is genetic as well. So yes, there is a genetic predisposition, but there's also a lot you can do to kind of change your outcomes. 
Sure. And what's the effect of, say, obesity or being overweight? Mm -hmm. So uh, we know that with this uptrend in um, heart disease in the last century, really the the average American has gotten a lot heavier. And um, we know that obesity is a major contributor to high blood pressure, to diabetes, all these risk factors that contribute to the development of heart disease and stroke in this country. We know that there's different types of of, um, obesity and how we hold our fat. You know, we talk about uh, pear shape versus apple shape. We know that um, apple uh, is probably worse because there's a lot more central obesity and central abdominal fat um, is, a, is a bigger indicator of your risk for heart disease. So um, if you've got a beer belly essentially or a big you know, belly in the middle, though, that's the kind of fat that actually is even more dangerous than um, a pear shape. Wow. Well, this is fascinating information and we appreciate your time. We're going to take a quick break and when we come back, we're going to continue talking about heart health for women.
we're back with her health and we're continuing the conversation. So I know that Providence has a really good approach to women's health and heart health overall. Talk a little bit about that. Mm -hmm. So the Women's Heart Program here at Providence really um, seeks to provide women with very specialized, personalized care when it comes to heart disease in women. We know that heart disease is the number one killer of men and women in the United States. And um, heart disease kills more women than all types of cancers combined. So Wow, wait, say that again? Yeah, heart disease kills more women than all types of cancers breast cancer everything everything wow yeah you know and women will say that you know yeah i i go and get um a mammogram every year to screen for breast cancer right you don't really have the equivalent for heart disease but heart disease kills one in three women in the united states and breast cancer kills one in 31 women in the united states one in three that is a very strong impactful number yes so you know i if it kills 10 times more women um, it's it's a big issue, right? Mm-hmm. And it deserves um, a lot more um, thought, and it, it takes um, very proactive kind of um, care mm-hmm. And when you do have heart disease. So we really try to provide women with um, personalized, specialized care with a specialist in heart disease and women's heart disease because there are certain conditions that we just see much more in women. For example, mm-hmm. there are different types of heart attacks um, that women can have. And, you know, I kind of jokingly say it's not, not a man's heart attack sometimes. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, we typically think of cholesterol blockages causing a blockage causing heart attacks. But there are other types of heart attacks that women have. Um, one of them is something called a spontaneous coronary artery dissection, where a woman gets a tear in the mm-hmm. arteries of her heart. She may have no cholesterol in there, but it's a weakened blood vessel that, that tears. And it's more common in women who are um, uh, young. They tend to maybe sometimes they're on oral contraceptives or they've oh, okay. been recently been pregnant or are pregnant um, or women that are on hormone replacement therapy. So okay. it's a type of heart attack that more women get. And, and unless you're in a specialized place where we see a lot more conditions like this and you have expertise in this area, you may not be able to get kind of the, the kind of care you would need otherwise. There are other types of heart attacks or heart disease that women get. One is something called, uh, it's more common in women anyways, called stress cardiomyopathy, where it's essentially broken heart syndrome. Usually some big emotional event will cause a transient stunning of the heart muscle, and you'll have a transient heart attack and maybe sometimes heart failure from it. I had a woman I took care of who... um, I had heard that uh, she had, her college-age son had just drowned in the school swimming pool. She started getting chest pain, sweaty, short of breath, felt like a heart attack. But it was really, in fact, um, she had normal arteries in her heart, but it was a broken heart. It was a stunned heart. But they tend to recover pretty well. You know, usually wow. within a week or a month, heart function is back to normal if you can provide them with good supportive care. There's another type of heart attack where you get spasms. It's called coronary artery vasospasm. It's more common in women. And the arteries of the heart, instead of getting cholesterol blockages, they intermittently can spasm. And and when they spasm, it cuts off blood flow, and it feels and acts and looks just like a heart attack. But certain medications can treat that and prevent that, hopefully, from happening again. And then another condition we see more in women is called microvascular disease, Mm -hmm. where it's not the big arteries of the heart that are plugged up or blocked up. It's the small vessels that you can't see on an angiogram. And they can spasm and have narrowings, and that can cause decreased blood flow and cause chest pain and feel like angina. And you treat those a little differently as well. What causes that? Mm -hmm. So there may be some hormonal component to it because Mm -hmm. it's more common in women. Um, We tend to find that medicines that vasodilate you a little bit, that relax the blood vessels and improve flow, can help with that condition. So sometimes it's a type of nitroglycerin medicine or um, uh, calcium channel blockers which dilate the blood vessels. 
I'm still a little bit hung up on the broken heart syndrome. Oh, I, yeah. I don't think I knew that existed. Mm-hmm. It's also it's called stress cardiomyopathy, medical term, um, mm-hmm. or apical ballooning syndrome. It's also known as Takisubo cardiomyopathy. It was first um, identified in Japan some years ago. Wow. But it happens in men and women, but it's much more predominant in women. Wow. Yeah. And it's usually some sort of very highly emotional, physiologic, or, or, or emotional sure. stress that causes essentially a surge of adrenaline. And that oh, adrenaline... That makes sense. Okay. That adrenaline then uh, impacts the heart muscle, and um, uh, that heart muscle then becomes more stunned, and, and essentially you'll have abnormal cardiac enzymes. You'll often have uh, you'll have wall motion abnormalities on an echocardiogram. The heart looks like it's it's been through a heart attack. Wow. Mm-hmm. Well, what are the the tests that you can do for early detection of heart disease? Yeah. So you know, in general, the most common heart attack or heart disease women will get is still coronary artery disease okay. from from plaque buildup, right? So if you've got, uh, and that is um, uh, something that you can you can target early if you're controlling your cholesterol, your blood pressure, your weight, your lifestyle. Um, so in terms of early detection, I would say knowing those kind of basic tenants of your indicators for cardiovascular health. Um, but beyond that, I think that much of the workup in cardiology is dependent on symptoms, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're having some chest tightness, you might get a stress test. If you're having more shortness of breath or other concerns, your doctor might want to check an echocardiogram, which is an ultrasound of the heart. In terms of early detection, I have found that in a lot of patients, there's a test called a coronary calcium scan that's been very helpful. And it's essentially um, a, a low radiation, non-contrast CAT scan. It takes about three to five minutes to do, but it um, looks and measures how much hardened atherosclerotic plaque, how much hardened plaque you've already built up in the arteries of your heart. And from that number, it gives you a, um, a percentile of where you're at among other women of same age and gender. Okay. So if you come back with a score that's 50th percentile, means you've got an average amount of plaque for someone your age. It's not great, not horrible, but you're average. What really helps me are people that come back at either ends of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. So if you're like, you know, I'm I'm 38, I'm healthy, I'm exercising, but, you know, my, my dad had a heart attack at age 42, what can I do to kind of lower my risk, you know? Um, so if I do a calcium score and you come back at 95th percentile, well, it means you've got you've got more plaque than, you know, the vast majority, maybe 95 out of 100 people your age on average. That's a big deal. And that's somebody we would identify as early um, as someone who might benefit from starting a cholesterol medication earlier, Mm -hmm. for example, to perhaps decrease um, the rate of plaque deposition in their arteries. At the same vein, I have older patients sometimes or people that might come in and say, you know, I've had some borderline cholesterol for years. I don't really want to go on a cholesterol medicine. You know, should I? Am I, am, I, am I wrong? You know, so if I do that scan and they have a coronary calcium score of zero or something, it means that there's really no hardened plaque in the arteries of their heart. Um, their prognosis is quite good. And we probably, and those patients can get away with not starting a cholesterol medicine right away and just continue to work on diet and lifestyle. So is that coronary calcium, is that something that you can request as a patient or does your doctor have to tell you about it? Well, your doctor orders it, but you can certainly as a patient bring it up to your doctor and say, hey, do you think I'd be a good candidate for this? And there are some patients, not everybody should get it. I mean, Mm -hmm. there are some patients, if they already have a heart disease, if they've already had a stent or heart attack or prior stroke, really the results of the scan won't change what we do, meaning you're going to be on an aspirin and a cholesterol medicine the rest of your life. But for people that are very interested in prevention, perhaps it's something that would affect how we would approach our care to you. It gives us more information. Got it. 
This question says, how does menopause affect my heart health? Mm -hmm. So we know that um, we have the natural protective effects of our estrogen mm -hmm. until we lose it. So as a woman gets through, get through menopause, we actually see the cholesterol numbers start to go up. The good cholesterol, uh. HDL starts to go down. The LDL, the bad cholesterol starts to go up. Our metabolism tends to slow down a bit more. It's harder for us to lose weight. Um, so... With um, menopause, we start we start seeing after menopause, women's heart disease risks really go up. And it's because we've lost kind of the natural protective effects of our natural estrogen. We've said that, you know, heart disease um, impacts uh, men and women, but we tend, mm -hmm. as women, we tend to get it about 10 years later mm -hmm. than men, just because um, when we lose our estrogen and, and our risk becomes, becomes higher over time. So does estrogen replacement hormone therapy, does that decrease your heart? No. no. Yeah, that's oh. a great question. You would think that. And for a number of years, we put women on, on hormone replacement therapy, thinking that it was the panacea, you know? like oh it's gonna make you look young sure. your skin's gonna look great you're, you're just no night sweats yeah no night sweats <laughs> it's gonna be great and um in reality they've done some studies since then and it found they found that if you need hormone replacement therapy to kind of get through the perimenopause kind of symptoms um probably while you're young and maybe that first for treatment within the first five years of when you kind of start developing developing those perimenopausal symptoms there's no significant increased cardiac risk mm, okay but um beyond that that when you've been on, you know, you're, if you're an older woman who's older than 65 or if you've been on hormones um, for longer than five years, we start seeing your heart disease and stroke risk grow up. We also start seeing your breast cancer risk go up. Mm -hmm. So um, for those reasons, I don't generally recommend hormone replacement therapy. Um, especially if you're an older woman or if you've been on it for more than five years, I start suggesting that you talk to your OB guy about how you can possibly start weaning down. Because sure. you're not, you know, I, sometimes I see patients that have been on estrogen for 30 years. They're 85. You know, nobody bothered to take them off. Wow. And really, women, we aren't making much estrogen. At, we would be making natural estrogen. <laughs> exactly. and, and we shouldn't artificially be, be giving you that because we now know that there are some potential harms to doing that. Sure. Well, are you seeing any increased risk of heart issues um, around like new fad diets, like maybe the Atkins diet where it's high fats, that mm -hmm. sort of thing? Or the keto diet that's keto. been popular. Oh, that's what I meant. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. the keto, which is kind of a kind of like an Atkins yeah. diet. So, you know, I think that um, it's important to at least if you're going to try something like that, make sure you're under close medical mm -hmm. monitoring. I think when people go on keto, they think, oh, it's a free reign. I'm going to go eat all the steak and bacon and all that I want. And um, <laughs> it's, it's going to be awesome, right? <laughs> but it, those are the bad fats. Mm -hmm. They're the artery clogging fats you know i have patients that go on something like that and their cholesterol go from 180 to like 280 oh, and just because they've been eating kind of all right. these you know really fatty things that are not not good and they weren't you. eating them before no so it's not like yeah no. but i mean you can do kind of a modified version where it might be healthier so instead of eating the red meat and the bacon and the sausage maybe you'll you're eating um good fats like you're eating olive oil and eating more nuts and fish and those things are fine avocados um and you're, you're pairing that with lean protein, you know, so lean protein, um, like from white meat, chicken, white meat, turkey, mm -hmm. fish, things like that. And, um, cause the, the, the key to losing weight in that diet is that you're trying to send your body into ketosis. You're right. trying to trick your body into thinking that, um, there is uh, no sugar. So therefore I have to burn fat stores. Right, and right. in that sense, yeah, if you get in ketosis, you do lose weight, but you don't want to do it by eating all the bad fats that clog up your arteries and increase your heart disease risk anyways. So if you can do kind of a, uh, a modified version where you're eating um, uh, foods that uh, the protein is, is a lean protein mm -hmm. and you're eating good fats, it, it could still be doable. Okay. 
I think one of the questions we got from a lot of people is, is um, heart disease reversible? Mm-hmm. So, you know, um, heart disease is, is um, I would say if you've got a lot of plaque buildup, the plaque is not going to completely melt away. But we do know that plaque will regress to some degree. Okay. And it, more important than that, it's um, stable plaque is less likely to cause a problem. Meaning that if you've got some cholesterol in your arteries, but they've formed a nice fibrous capsule, they're kind of walled off. You know, plaque that doesn't break off and, you know, attract more clot and um, move to other areas is not going to cause as much of a problem. So um, in people that already have heart disease, when they make dramatic lifestyle changes, they um, eat healthy, they're active, they live well. Um, they, you know, take their medications. You, you, you can have one cardiac event and never have another mm-hmm. one again. You know, you can live the next 30, 40 years being heart healthy. And, um, and I see that all the time. Well, that's good news. Mm-hmm. Is there any one patient story that sticks out in your memory where you've been able to help somebody through maybe a heart event that you said, this is why I do this. This is exactly what brings me joy. Mm-hmm. So I, um, I took care of a woman maybe four or five years ago who um, had a cardiac arrest. So her heart essentially stopped. Mm-hmm. And um, she, had, she was a busy executive, had just come home from work, wasn't feeling quite right, and said, I'm just going to go to bed, honey. Mm-hmm. And um, he checked in on her, and she wasn't breathing. I mean, so immediately he started CPR. Um, he called 911. He actually notified his neighbor, who's an EMT, oh, wow. came over and did really good CPR on her. Um, but by the time she showed up, the EMS showed up. Um, she was found to be in ventricular fibrillation, cardiac arrest. Her heart really wasn't beating. Oh, they no. were able to shock her back. But at that point, you know, she had no meaningful neurologic activity. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she had gone a while. Her brain had gone without essential oxygen and blood. And um, but as soon as she got here, we um, kind of did our usual protocol. We also cooled her body. We did mm-hmm. what we call neurologic cooling, hypothermia protocol. And a colder body for the next 24 hours. And actually, the studies have shown that improves neurologic recovery. And in the next day, as she started to, as she cooled down, and then the following day, she, we started to warm her up. And um, she started to wake up, and um, she was able to, to, to recognize her family. Yeah. She was able to talk. She was able to get out of bed. She ultimately walked out of the hospital. Oh, that's beautiful. So she had um, a cardiac arrest and essentially had died, but um, CPR saved her, you wow. know, and it, it works. And, um, you know, c- good medical care, um, when you have access to it, can make people have dramatic recoveries. She went back to work within a month. Um, wow. She is still working and traveling. And she's now actually um, a volunteer here for Providence at our base camp Pathfinders program. So she, it's essentially a peer mentorship program for patients, survivors of heart disease, Mm -hmm. who now maybe uh, serve as a as a partner or mentor for other patients that are now going through their own cardiac diagnosis. Kind of let them know that yes, there is there is light at the end of the tunnel. You can be on the other side. Been there, done that, made it through. You can be a survivor. Wonderful. So, um, and she does you know great work for Providence now and gives back. And I just think that this is. this is why we do what we do. We want to help people live um, full lives, uh, rich lives, and um, hopefully at the same time allow them to be able to be important, continue to make important, important contributions to the community. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Dr. Tam, for all the work that you do and for joining us today. Um, for those of you listening and sending in your questions, um, we're about to go do yoga or Zumba. Is that yeah. right? <laughs> well, thank you to our expert for joining us today and to everyone for listening and sending in your questions. We look forward to future topics with more experts from Providence. 
Make sure to follow us on social media at Providence on Twitter and under Providence Health System on Instagram and Facebook. To learn more about our mission programs and services, visit Providence.org. Thanks for listening. Ask me how you think I